This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatters? Thanks for tuning in and joining us for another episode. One of the things that I think is really unique about many of the guests that we have on the show is that the problems that they're solving, you couldn't necessarily identify right out of school. You have to have some sort of experience in that field. Robin and Sam Lane from Transec joined us this week to chat about how their previous careers in environmental consulting and real estate development led them to identifying a huge problem in the environmental due diligence process, a.k.a. you got a dune sage brush lizard in the Permian and it shuts down all drilling, right? Huge issue. So we talked about how they built Transect to solve that problem. We had a lot of fun with these guys, so we hope you enjoy. Before we get into the episode, this episode is sponsored by Interpub, a new public data solution from Stonebridge Consulting. When you're looking for public oil and gas data, you really have two options. Aggregate the data yourself from various state agencies or subscribe to a data provider. Now, this is something that we've talked about a lot, and you typically hear a lot of the same things from people. They want to cut costs around accessing public data. They want flexibility to select data sources. They want to be able to easily integrate this data into existing systems. And they want to be able to manipulate this data and work with it, right? Interpub from Stonebridge is reimagining public data access by streamlining data integration and simplifying analytics. This means you can monetize your data sharing through big data platforms such as Azure, AWS, and Snowflake, as well as easily connect analytics platforms like Spotfire, Tableau, or Power BI. Interpub 1.0 is now available, offering free access to curated data. You can learn more at sbconsulting.com forward slash Interpub. That's sbconsulting.com forward slash Interpub, which we've thrown a link in the show notes for you below if you just want to click that. Interpub from Stonebridge Consulting. Maybe it's time to reimagine public data. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Guest Startups Podcast. We've got the people from Transec today. What's going on, guys? What's up? Hey, good morning. Yes. So we got Robin and Sam. Appreciate you guys coming on the show. We were just talking about the name. Let's start there. What does the name mean? And let's kind of segue into the show that way. You started telling me, and I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, <laughs> let's get the mics going. Let's get live. Yeah. So the name Transect, uh, I think the definition of it is collecting a, a line between point A and point B, where you're collecting some data. That we we named the company Transect because back when I was a field tech as a biologist, um, I spent my very first summer uh collecting data in the field, walking transects back and forth across 3,500 acres in 103 degree weather, looking for karst features, which are basically holes in the ground that have water quality implications when you build a residential complex. And so it's this idea of you you are walking back and forth with a GPS and snake guards, rattlesnakes and all sorts of good I'm assuming stuff, this is West Texas, data. 103 degree weather, rattlesnakes. around Austin. Austin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Central Texas. All right. Central Texas. So, you know, tell us a little bit, you know, you kind of dove into your field background and how you got the name. What do you guys do now as a company? And then after that, I want to dive into each one of y'all's backgrounds and I want to get the rattlesnake stories and more of that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, lots of field stories. Sam, um, Sam came over here with a shirt with rattlesnakes on it. So they're, they're, they're water, water moccasins. Oh, they're water moccasins. <laughs> I, was Look, correct, I was also I, corrected earlier. I, I can't see from over how here. You, so How do you know they're water moccasins? There's no, con- like, there's no water around them. Or can you just tell from the... Well, we can get to the snake hunting stories later, but um, <laughs> it's the pattern 
on the snake. Uh, yeah. You can tell. Mm, and also I, it's a little chubby in the middle. But. I see a brown snake coiled up. I'm like, rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> solid pass. I've got, I've got a pretty solid rule where I just don't mess with any kind of snake. So I just, it's a rattlesnake. I'm not messing with it. <laughs> That's so, a safe bet. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah. Um, so uh, in the U.S., there's a lot of really cool stuff outside, like animals, plants, streams, ponds, archaeological stuff. All cool things. And it's protected by... The federal government, state government, local governments. Um, there's a lot of regulations around it. And so anybody who's building something like a, a road or a solar farm or an oil and gas uh, location pipeline uh, has to care about those things. And previously, it was hard to find the information about those things. Where are they? What regulations matter? What permits apply? How long is it going to take me to get through the permit process? That was kind of housed in a black box with environmental consultants, which is my background. And so Transect... We're an online tool that took a ton of information, uh, digital, t- digitized, non-digitized. Uh, we, we applied a whole bunch of really cool algorithms and triggers to it so that our users can learn about the environmental issues, natural resources issues on their properties uh, or on their potential projects in about 90 seconds. Uh, they know exactly what regulations apply, what permits they need, what they need to do about it, next steps, who to contact. Helps uh, get that environmental piece much earlier in the process for, you know, we say 1% of the time for about a third of the cost. Yeah. I remember back in West Texas, I want to say like maybe six or seven years ago, you know, there was this huge issue with a lizard. Dune sagebrush lizard. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I can remember, look, again, lizards. It's just lizards. I, I don't like know this, specific like lizard. this turned into like animal planet. <laughs> 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 I'm, like, I'm, pumped, I'm pumped. I'm, <laughs> I was. I'm pumped about this one. Like I've never got to just talk about animals on the podcast before. But huge issue, right? Because there there was, you know, this was in the middle of the shell boom and they're like, oh my God, we're going to have to quit fracking. It's going to shut down the Permian Basin because of this lizard. And it seems like there's a lot of um, misinformation around that. And it kind of seems like you you touched on that a little bit that a lot of this used to be in a black box and people didn't have access to it. And, you know, you had to go in and hire environmental consultants and things of that nature. So essentially what you guys are looking to do is kind of streamline that process. Process. Say that if you're an oil and gas company and, you know, you have acreage down in South Texas in the Eagleford, you can go to your platform and easily find out, you know, what are the regulations, what are the concerns, hazards around that, and then kind of figure out who you need to talk to. Is yeah, that a- that's exactly right. Bull down thesis. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So- you're an environmental consultant. <clears throat> I want to talk about y'all's backgrounds a little bit. You're an environmental consultant. How long did you do that for? And what uh, about- does an environmental consultant- do on a day-to-day basis. I think you're the first environmental <laughs> consultant we've had on the show. Maybe should we yeah. go back even We're further to the zookeeping? Environmental <laughs> consultant. Yeah, we can go back to the zookeeping. So let's go back to the zookeeping. Or how'd you even get into zookeeping? Um, in college, uh, okay. there was I. I ended up with a semester um, where I needed a, a job, and there was a job board posting for an intern as a zookeeper. At Joe Exotics at the, Tiger Farm. That would have been awesome. I don't. Well, mm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, it's for the Austin Zoo, which is a really great okay. nonprofit rescue zoo. And, um, yeah, started out as an intern and stayed on as a keeper, like a part-time zookeeper. Um, I did a lot of hoof stock, right? So anything with a hoof. Um, I did do the big cats and carnivores cause everybody asked, uh, the, the reptiles. The only thing I didn't do a ton of was the monkeys cause they're, they have, they have alpha zookeeper problems and they throw stuff at you. Robin mm. nearly got eaten by a lion one time. That's oh, let's hear that. That sounds very unsafe. <laughs> yeah. no, they just roar really loud when you come in with a bucket of meat. What's the coolest thing about being a zookeeper? Um, honestly being, you know, six inches away from some of the coolest animals in the world. Yeah. 
big cats. I'm a, I'm a cat person. So big cats and carnivores, bears. I mean, you're, it's all safe, right? There's, there's enclosures and there's protocols and policies, Mm -hmm. but it's just cool to be, have a, have, you know, they recognize you to have a relationship with a tiger is kind of cool. I have so many questions. So what's your thoughts on Harambe? (laughs) Did you watch Tiger King? (laughs) I have watched Tiger King. I have thoughts, but I feel like that would digress. Because I used to spend a ton of time up in Ardmore, Oklahoma, right outside of where his zoo was. And when that documentary came out, I was like, this is the least surprising thing that I've ever seen. Like Ardmore, Oklahoma is one of the most unique places I've been to in my life. That's a really nice way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Like I was at a Walmart at midnight one time and I thought I was in an episode of the walking dead. It's just like meth nation up there. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So zookeeper. And then obviously, you know, you kind of found this passion for animals and wildlife, I'm assuming, and then decided to go into the consulting route. Yeah. Okay. And then, okay, let's stop there. I got to ask the guy that's wearing a shirt with water moccasins on it. (laughs) What's your background? Well, going back to the water moccasin days or like, Dude, bit how you, far you back go, you want to go? You go back as far <laughs> as you want, man. Who sat in sheets in a trailer, and my mom told me that's how she knew I was going to be fancy one day. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the the water moccasins actually like we, you know, I thought it was a beautiful ranch. It turned out to be a trailer in a swamp down a dirt road outside of Houston. But it was a lot of land, and our neighbors didn't care. And so we trek back through my little brother and I, or my best friend, with machetes and like you know other snake guards and whatnot, and we go trek down the sloughs and we'd hunt water moccasins and so we would chop their heads off and then we would like skin them and make belts and hats out of them and so it was like um, is that where these boots came from no these these came from a um cavenders <laughs> yeah thanks cavenders a lot, a lot less exotic <laughs> yeah but um yeah so that's the water moccasin so i'd never seen a shirt with water moccasins on them before and i was really exciting it was it was a lot of fun until they turned around and chased us one day and then we decided that Maybe we should hunt things instead with <laughs> rifles. Yeah, <laughs> have some weaponry. Behind yeah. Very, very different than my background. Yeah, with the with the saving of the animals. That's true. Yeah, very different. So you're um, trying to save the animals from <laughs> Sam. Yeah, basically. So someone brought a monkey to my jujitsu gym. There we go. There's the jujitsu <laughs> reference for the show <laughs> last week. Is that a capuchin? And I don't know. It's a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> it's from here. Yo, what is that, Robin? Is it, that a- it's hard to see, but probably there, a capuchin but- if I had to guess. Uh, yeah. Capuchin. So I think it looks like a baby. I capuchin. think buying a pet monkey sounds like a terrible life decision. Well, if you've ever seen First Friends, off, you know it's like a Ross on Friends had a capuchin. I never watched was, Friends. Okay, well. My mom liked Friends so much that I just like, I can't <laughs> watch something that my, that, that my mom likes. <laughs> okay, so, you know, how, let, let's transition into the story of Transect and how, you know, you guys identified this problem. You know, I'm sure that you saw it. If you look at, you know, you're coming from a consulting background, I'm just going to kind of spitball. You're like, hey, look, you know companies pay all this money for this consulting. There's got to be a way to create a technological platform that can do the same thing and streamline the process. I think that whenever we met the Blue Bear CEO Summit last year, you were telling me that you, so other than uh, killing water moccasins and other various animals, you come from a real estate development background, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, um, yeah, so after killing water moccasins and going to UT a couple of times, I ended up in commercial real estate development in Austin. Okay. And so at a real prolific firm. And so Robin and I actually worked together when I was at that firm, because um, we'd be developing single family industrial office and whatnot. And um, I was on the side of kind of the demand side of the product where I'd find out, you know, 
30 days into a 45 day due diligence period that there was a endangered bird and I didn't know why nobody picked it up. And then it cost me half a million dollars to date that bird and mm-hmm. develop the project. <laughs> and so the question was always like, why, why did I find that out so late in the process? Like, isn't there something that could have been done earlier? So I'll let you speak from your side, but yes, yeah, so it was commercial real estate development was the background. And so cool. we developed a whole bunch of stuff in and around Austin. So. Got you. So were you working for, so you're working for the same firm, but were you working as the environmental consultant to the, no, I was a subcontractor. Okay. I was doing environmental consulting at a, a small local firm in Austin at the time. Okay. It's all coming full circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes mm-hmm. sense. So yeah. you guys identify this problem comes a pain <clears throat> in the ass on the real estate development side. You're like, look, we're a month into this and we just now found out that we have this endangered bird that's holding up the project. So you guys, you know, how did you, decide to go full time on this and actually develop something. Um, I think that you mentioned before we got on the podcast that you guys are now backed by blue bear. So let's talk about, you know, did you guys decide to build an MVP while, you know, still at your jobs? Did you just decide to quit, go full time on it, raise capital? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea for transit came around, um, in 20, well, like right after 2014, when Mm -hmm. I was doing a ton of oil and gas work at the time and my clients were calling me every single day, say, I'm thinking about building this lateral or this gathering system. And I basically want to put it in the ground like next week, tell me what my environmental problems are. And it was real time consuming for us. I mean, just besides the fact that we were trying to be out in the field, doing permitting, all this kind of thing. Um, this is where the idea for transit came from is like, we were doing a ton of research to try to create a PDF report about here's all your environmental problems and what you should do about it. And that inefficiency is where Transect came from. Yeah. And so once the market kind of slowed down, um, we, uh, we were, we were chatting one day and we were like, mm-hmm. Sam had seen this problem before I had been running around ragged for the last two years, trying to create this, you know, what we call like a desktop report in the industry, like this, you know, analysis of what your potential problems could be. And we were both like, well, there's, there's a better way to do this. And now is probably the right time. And so that was back in, I think, early 2016. We incorporated in 2016 in the summer. Um, we built the MVP in the fall when uh, we were all still full time at our previous jobs. Um, we've actually built it in a weekend, like in a hot tub. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's like uh, That's a first. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then we quit. Once we figured that out, we got some early buy-in from some of my old oil and gas clients to see if it would be something that they were interested in. And we quit to s- our jobs to start full-time, at least our, our CTO and I quit. Uh, you kind of came on full-time a little bit later. Uh, Sam did um, in January of 2017. So about so you six guys had later. developed this MVP, you know, was it an actual technological <clears throat> platform? Did you just have a wireframe for it? How did you guys build it? You know, who built it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, our CTO at the time built it. Um, he was one of our co-founders and it was basically the idea behind the MVP is can we draw a line, which could represent a pipeline on a map and have that map spit out some information, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't just want to draw a line on a map like you would on like Google maps. Like that's not helpful. Data on a map is not helpful unless you know what it means. Mm -hmm. And so if we draw a line on a map and then that tells us you know, it spits out some information like, you know, the sample permit is what you needed. That's basically what our MVP was, was to see if the technology could be there where we could have a third party draw a line on a map that we hosted and then have it tell us something. And yeah. that was basically the MVP that we so built. So originally, so your job really before Transect was going out, 
you're essentially manually kind of drawing on this line, say it's a right away for a pipeline or something. And mm-hmm. then you're going out and you're going to a million different sources and trying to figure out what endangered animals and permits right. and a variety of things. And so you're essentially replacing your job, right? With Transite. A part of my job. Yeah. yeah. The field component is absolutely something we don't do that, mm-hmm. you know, you still need consultants to help you with and even the permitting piece, but that, that initial five to 10% of a job, which is just the planning phase, the due diligence phase, that's where Transect helps. So, so are you guys aggregate, are there like different databases and stuff that you guys are tapping into and then mm-hmm. you're aggregating it and then you, you type in that kind of almost like GIS mapping component of like, Hey, here's where we want our project to be. And yeah, spits out all the, yeah, all that's the right. Stuff. So there's a lot of GIS platforms out okay. there though, where you can, again, you can aggregate a lot of different data and mm-hmm. put it on a on a GIS platform, but Transect Secret Sauce is we tell you what that means. Like, great, so you pull in something like the National Wetlands Inventory and it tells you you have a forested wetland on a map, that's great, but that tells you nothing about the, you know, the, the schedule, budget, timeline, uh, footprint implications for your project. You know, as a consultant, if somebody called me, I would say, you know, if you're a pipeline, we recommend you bore underneath that forested wetland if you want to avoid this permit and, you know, avoid some mitigation, um, but a map can't tell you that, Transect mm-hmm. does. Okay. So you're giving data with context. That's right. Yeah. The context piece is important. So I think, yeah, like I said, there's GIS viewers out there and we obviously need GIS data because it's useful to show information on a map. But we also want to say what, what permits do you need? Give you a lot of information about the regulations, give you information about the regulator that you need to contact, what some next steps are, things you can avoid to make your life easier. You know, say you need a permit, but if you follow this step, you know, you can shave six months off your permit timeline. That's important information people want to know right away. Mm -hmm. So when you guys want to build the product, um, you know, I'm I'm thinking about building the MVP and the early stages of it. Your CTO built out the product. Did you say your CTO was at the firm with you? You knew them previously? No. mm -mm. No. So all three of us went to the University of Texas. Got you. Yeah. Got you. That's where we we all met. Yeah. You know, when we talk to a lot of founders, the hardest part is always finding the technical person. You know, especially here in Houston, you have a lot of smart reservoir engineers, you know, geophysicists, whatever it may be that they have an idea, you know, they identified a problem in their everyday workflow. They want to build something, but they're like, we need a, we need a CTO. We need someone that can actually own the product and build it. And so for you, you already had someone in your network that had that expertise. You know, how did you convince them to, to come on and work with you? Do you want to answer that? Yeah, sure. Um, so <clears throat> We went back to like, um, like I'd known our CTO since I was 18. And so like, um, we did stuff at the university of Texas together and then we kept up. He was in my wedding. He was in my brother's weddings. Like, so we'd known each other for a real long time. And so when we kind of came together, I was always bouncing bad ideas off of him. (laughs) (laughs) But this one was like when we all came together and Robin came up with the idea and we're thinking about like, what could this look like? And sort of the implications across the United States, right? Because it's when you're impacting land, these regulations and rules apply, not just for oil and gas, but for solar and renewables and water and wastewater. You all get the drift, right? Yeah. Um, And so that was like when we kind of all got together and that's when we went out and raised some money. Um, to do it. So we, you know, most companies don't put together a 
45 page business plan, but Robin was the national program manager at an environmental consulting firm. <laughs> like I'd own my own real estate development fund and buildings. And yeah. we, we put it together for ourselves because we're like, we're all about to leave like really good jobs. <laughs> we need to convince ourselves stock and equity and everything else to go like do this thing. Yeah. Like we need, we need to do this for ourselves, not like a pitch deck. Like we need to make sure we're not crazy. Yeah. And so um I think a lot of that internal vetting. And then one night I um I had some, you know, a couple of drinks and I may have bought 96 websites. So, but it was, it was like, it's like still, environmental consulting, Texas.com. Yeah. Environmental permitting, well, Louisiana. Sounds like I went on the internet. I'm Jeff Bezos. Like, hold my beer, right? Well, it was just interesting because when you, when you look at an idea like this, you're like, obviously somebody had to have thought of this, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing you go do is like, well, endangeredspeciesact.com. And it's like, it's available for $9.99. And you're like, what? cleanwateract.com. I mean, like literally all these regular, like the actual domain names are available. And so I think that's for us internally, it kind of helped us flush it out. Yeah. And then regarding the technical talent, like it was just the three of us for a long time, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was, you know, building that out was, was tough because it's not, it turns out that drawing a line, triggering a thing. Well, that was a great MVP, but that line and that trigger needed like eight levels below it, subject to what state you're in. Ton yeah. of content. Ton yeah, of so content. There's a lot of content. Yeah. yeah. So the, the tech always <clears throat> looks easy on the front end, right? But it, it's the back end and all the content that goes right. into it that, that's hard. Yeah. How did you guys, let's talk about getting like your first customers. Well, right? so hold on. I'm, I wanted to dive into something before <laughs> we go into that because he brought up, no, he brought up a good, down. he brought up a good point here about how they wrote this white paper. And it's something that yeah. you and I talk a lot about because when you look at a, a lot of startups, you know, when they're raising capital, they have this idea. It's like, hey, 10 slide pitch deck, nothing, <clears throat> nothing more than that. We wrote a white paper for digital wildcatters that never got sent out externally. It was just for us. It was for us to get our thoughts and get clarity into where we were going. And it was a good exercise for us. We so. always have one of those documents. We kind of reference it as like our internal Bible of like strategy that we kind of seem to revisit. I don't know. It seems like every, every day. two weeks <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least, but yeah, I think the misconception there with like business plans is especially in Silicon Valley. It's like, Hey, you don't need a business plan. And it's always in the context of reaching out to venture capitalists. And it's like, Oh, we only need a pitch tech. So then they think oh, like business plans are not in vogue. Like who cares about it? But it's a great thought exercise to see, are you prepared and have you really thought through everything? There's a lot of shit that's going to get thrown your way on this little entrepreneurial journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. I was I actually had, it had been a while, probably, you know, 12 or 15 months since I had looked at our business plan originally and I was working on our current product roadmap and I went back to our business plan that I hadn't even thought about and uh, or used it as any sort of strategy on our roadmap. And we're actually really close to what we thought we were going to do when we like started writing it in a hot tub. Four years ago, <laughs> like like, I was like, wow, that product was ahead of its time. And I think I just thought of it, but nope, I actually thought of it four years ago. More of the story so, is more business plans should be written. In more hot business plans. That's absolutely right. Yeah. No, you have like a whiteboard next to the, next to the hot tub. You can just reach up. <laughs> <laughs> that that been Get a rolling whiteboard. Just bring it <laughs> out. <laughs> All right. Sorry to interrupt you, Jake. Go ahead and ask your question. I don't remember what the question was now. Oh, you're asking you if they had first customers. Yeah, yeah first, first customers. customers. Yeah. <clears throat> that was your deal with uh, oh. you should probably talk about that. <laughs> yeah, our, our first customer was a group called New Jersey Resources. And um that was really funny because I think in some ways it it wasn't a very helpful first customer to get <laughs> because I'm at a bar in Houston <clears throat> at a conference 
that was unaffiliated with what we were doing. We got invited <laughs> down there and I'm sitting there talking to somebody telling him what we're doing and he's eating a burger. I'm eating a burger. And he's like, Oh, this is really cool. I should hook you up with, you know, this guy. And I'm like, okay, great. So the next week we jump on a call and we're talking about it. He's like, Oh, this is great. So we're like nine months in, we kind of have a product and we're just kind of like touching our fingers, putting it up in the air being like, he's like, well, how much is this going to cost? So we're like, well, your pipelines X amount of miles. So maybe like $8,000. He's like, okay. We're like, great. And then we're like, so what all do you want in here? And he's like, oh, well, could you add this and this and this? And we're like, we can do that. You know, and so then we built it out and shipped it to him. And he was like real excited about it. But the reason why I say it's kind of a weird first client is because it kind of like ruins your brain. Cause suddenly you're like, wow, we can charge people so much money. And that may be first true on some of the first iterations because nobody's seen it. But then when you start talking about scaling, it's like, actually, you need to be charging people about maybe half that much for like market penetration. Yeah. But that was our first client. And then our second clients, when we actually launched the product truly, um, <laughs> I was at another conference that we got invited to and the CEO of Philip 66 was talking on stage to about 300 people at this master limited ML like partnership. It was like a midstream conference. And um, he starts talking about the Bayou Bridge pipeline and how they got shut down by the courts and they were losing a million and a half dollars a day because of forced wellness. <clears throat> and I'm like, I've heard that word. And so I text message Robin. And I'm like, hey, can y'all pull the Bayou Bridge pipeline and upload it in the transect? And I just get this message back. Yeah, but why? And I'm like, oh, uh, just do it. Just can, can we do it? And they're like, yeah. So the next thing I know, like in all my phone, I've got the Bayou Bridge Pipeline. The CEO walks off stage and I run over there and I'm like, hey, um, I can't remember his name, but my name's Sam Lane. And like I co-founded this company called Transect. And this is your Bayou Bridge Pipeline. You have 462 um, forested wetlands on it. And he just looks at me and he looks at that and he's like, where'd you get that? I was like, online. He's like, and this is, you know, our tech that we created. He goes, that's really cool. He's like, hey, you know, talks to the next person next to him. Get this guy's information. And then they walk off. And I'm like, well, that's not going anywhere ever. <laughs> and three months later, we get a message. And then a month after that, like our first client that signed up was Boom 66. That's awesome. <laughs> and we're like, what in the world just <laughs> happened? And they'd never signed a B2B SaaS subscription like we were offering before. And we'd never created a contract for it. So there was a lot of interesting things that yeah. happened there. But taking on a big client like that, you know, as like your first or, you know, in this case, second client. I mean, I'm sure <clears> that comes with a lot of learning experiences and and just like you said, it's like we haven't even done a contract for a company the size of Philip 66. What were some of the things that you guys kind of learned from jumping in the fire with that one? Uh, <clears throat> I think as far as the technology goes, it was great because we started to get our first feedback with our first set of clients, yeah. which is super important. Everybody wants to know, like, does, is our product like worth anything or yeah. is it a total piece of crap? Yeah. Is our I, product market fit? Yeah. I, online? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely. <laughs> and so, um, I think that was, you know, for me just on the product side, since I'm so focused on the product, I think that was, that was huge was to finally have people that matter yeah. it's, like, it's like the most my gratifying in the world cool. to get your first customers on a product and then get them to actually use it but it's also like, like a double-edged sword they're like well i hate this part about it i hate this part about it but i love this <laughs> yeah. and i love this and i love this that's right but i think yeah. it's super exciting to get that that, that uh, i guess that feedback loop from yeah. the clients and constantly being able to iterate and provide more value and seeing them get excited about it and how they can use it in their daily lives and stuff
This episode is powered by W Energy Software. You might remember that we had W Energy's founder and CEO, Pete Waldrop, on the show a while back. And you may know that Wildcatter's very own Jeremy Funk, aka one half of the Tripping Over the Barrel podcast, calls W Energy home, and he loves it. You guys know our mantra is evolve or die, and after a year like this, that is now more true than ever. While we love for the industry to thrive right now, you really just need to be focusing on surviving. We all know this industry is cyclical. This isn't the first downturn, nor will it be the last. You need to set your organization up in a way that helps you drive down your DNA cost while improving business agility. Legacy upstream software like Bolo and Excalibur, you know, they pose multiple challenges for EMP companies. They poor support, expensive upgrades, data integration requirements, overhead cost, and honestly, just lack of innovation. That's something that we've harped on a ton. And that's why we really love the team over at W Energy Software and everything that they've built. These guys are making huge strides in upstream and midstream. In upstream alone, their customer count has grown by 80% in just the last year as producers are switching from legacy providers to a modern, unified ERP platform that's built on the cloud. W Energy Software will help you do way more with way less by keeping your GNA cost down and dramatically increasing your team's efficiency, which is super, super important. One of my favorite parts is that it's all packaged up into a clean and sleek, modern user interface that is super simple to use. If you want to learn more about how they can help you, just visit WEnergySoftware.com or click the link in the show notes below. Now let's get back to the episode. I think one of the cool things you said that your eyes kind of lit up and you were like, we can charge all this money and stuff. And that's something that we've never talked about on the podcast is pricing. Like, so how have you guys kind of like, like walk me (laughs) through the psychology, because that's one of those things, especially (laughs) if you're entering like a completely new market, you can position it like, okay, well, I'm replacing three full-time employees and their average salary is this. And then we'll divide it by three or something, or we can look at our competitors and they're charging this. And either we want to be positioned as a premium product. We want to go higher. or We want to be considered the, the value solution. Like walk us through your thoughts on that. I'm sure there's probably a couple iterations of that. Yeah. We are still iterating our pricing. Like pricing is really hard. I think it's the hardest, I think it's one of the hardest things we've had to do. Um, and it matters so much because so much of how you're judged is your revenue. And, um, yeah, I, you know, we, we, we kind of have settled on this point in time on, you know, kind of, we, we changed pricing based on the, the number of employees at a company. Um, we never did like seats because that was one thing that we decided early on two things about our pricing is we never, we always wanted to be unlimited reports. We didn't want to charge by report and we wanted unlimited users. So we didn't want to charge for seats because we felt like the more people were in the platform, the more information we would get, the more prolific it would become, the more sticky our platform would be within mm-hmm. a company. Cause if that one person that has a seat leaves, uh, then nobody else there uses it and then they try to cancel. And mm-hmm. so um, that, was, that, that was important. And really the great thing about technology is because the cost to run a transect report is pretty minimal. I mean, that's the great thing about technology. It's the computer does it. And so we've, we've been fortunate that we've able, been able to experiment with pricing. And um, I don't know, Sam's on the growth team, so he can probably talk about pricing yeah. a little bit more. But I feel like this is like a massive journey. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really hard to figure out pricing. And, um, but it, we did know that we always wanted those two things to be important, like unlimited seats, unlimited users, because we didn't want to be like in, you know, be a, be yeah. like, have like fiefdoms about who could access our technology yeah. and who mm-hmm. couldn't. Because even the existing GIS tools out there, um, <clears throat> they still have seats and we want it to be different. I think it's a pretty unique problem not only for enterprise software, but specifically for companies that are dealing, you know, with energy related 
um, markets like you guys are <clears throat> construction or whatever it may be. Like if you think about SaaS, the economics of SaaS tools in the consumer market, it's a lot easier to figure out, okay, you know, what's the willingness to pay the market? We generate a demand curve, figure out our price elasticity, things of that nature. But when you're trying to do that for an enterprise market where, you know, like if you're looking at midstream companies, for example, there's not that many midstream companies, right? And so you don't have a whole lot of chances to play around with the pricing model and figure <coughs> out, you know, you can't do a, a survey on the market and figure out, okay, what are these guys willing to pay? and things of that nature. So it's interesting because you start looking at, okay, do we go on a model where we charge by seats or, you know, charge by how many reports you generate? And so you have to start getting really creative with those things. Whereas, you know, if you look at pricing models of, you know, say Slack or some other, you know, tool like that, their pricing models are pretty, they're pretty easy to figure mm -hmm. out and get to pretty quickly. But I think that it's a unique problem that um, companies like <clears throat> you guys have, and you, you have to put a lot of brain power and, and bandwidth into figuring it out. So Yeah. And there's also kind of an education piece because A, our users aren't typically used to a whole lot of B2B SaaS opportunities. Um, so the concept of paying for a subscription that you kind of have all access to all the time and getting this to be part of their business process is a bit of an education piece. Also, because our technology, we have no competitors. We're not just another communication tool like Slack mm -hmm. is, right? It's, it is hard to, we, uh, part of our sales process definitely involves really understanding our users' processes right mm -hmm. now and thinking really creatively about how to fit in to that process. And then we have to talk about, okay, so, you know, if this is your process now, what does that pricing look like? Are you subbing out this kind of work to a subcontractor? Are you not doing it at all? Are you doing it in house and how much time and money does that take you? And so because all of our users have different use cases because they have different processes and things like that, I think that's contributed to pricing too, because if you're subbing it out to a consultant, you're used to paying maybe more, but if you do it in house, you're not used to paying anything for it. Yeah. Um, it's just going to your overhead yeah, so you, your existing staff. And so we're, we're talking to a lot of different people that are fitting transect into a lot of different places in their existing process. And that's, so it's, it's hard to kind of find a consistent price pricing comparison, model, yeah. pricing model. So you guys really take it from the approach of you look at, okay, what is a company spending today on their traditional processes and <laughs> workflows? How much value are we actually creating? And, you know, how much money are we saving them at the end of the day? And then money and time, money, a and, lot of them, yep. you know, a lot of our bigger clients, they're like, yeah, money is kind of a thing, but they really love the time piece of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that's, you know, sometimes money isn't, isn't the problem. Yeah, if you it's make like them more efficient, that's, they don't want to yeah. wait a few weeks for somebody outside of their company to tell them, or they don't have a good resource or they, you know, they're like, I'm frustrated. I want to know this information, but I don't know where to get it. So that's the value for them is the time piece getting that it. That just 90 reminded seconds. me. Remember we had that midstream company reach out to us one time with this exact problem. They're like, yeah, you know, we're building these pipelines and, you know, the C-suite will want to report on, hey, where are we at in this pipeline in terms of permitting and issues? And yep. they asked us, like, do you know anyone that can help us build build this? And for them, it was efficiency. It's like it takes us right. a month to a month and a half to generate that right. and get it back up to yeah. C-suite. We want something that we can, you know, within a few days or a week, have that information. Right. Yeah. They were looking we at should, it We should link you guys of, up with them because yeah. this is it's well, the exact they went, solution. They went out of business. So, uh, oh. Oh. Oh, <laughs> sorry. We didn't should've, get into them. Well, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, what they had wanted on that was interesting because they wanted to use it essentially as um, – like a project management tool, but with like a graphical mapping interface of being able to like see a pipeline. Like we literally wanted like, like sections like highlighted as it was done. And then all the data, like all the financials you can see alongside that, mm. which I thought was a really cool concept. And to my knowledge, I've never seen anything like that build. So do you guys look at your tool as kind of like a project management or do you see it as 
the resource just for the environmental side? Just for due diligence tool? Yeah, our, our lane is really natural resources, but we do mm-hmm. have, you know, we've got sharing and we've got capability where you can have kind of like teams in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, our, our, you look like you were saying something. Our, uh, our lane is basically natural resources. I mean, that's, that's what we're good at. There's other groups out there that have project management tools mm-hmm. and that do like hazardous material stuff, yeah. mm-hmm. phase one ESA type stuff. Like that's, that's other people do that well. And that's not where, where we play. So you guys are primarily in natural resources right now, or do you have, you guys have any like, other random like real estate clients or anything? Yeah. So I think when Robin says natural resources, it's like a term of art, right? And this mm-hmm. is where our transect 101 comes in. You're talking about how do you price things and educate <clears> people. <throat> Because even though like people hear natural resources and that means something different to an they oil group oil than a solar group to mm-hmm. a real yeah, estate I person, right? Mm-hmm. Term, yeah. And so um, I feel like when you say, are y'all just in natural resources, like from a land standpoint, the federal government, state governments consider your property a natural resource, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. like the birds, the bunnies, the, yeah. <laughs> the cow ponds that are wetlands, the dishes that are streams, like that they consider that a natural resource. And so it's kind of across the market. And that's been one of the difficulties about, I think, the education piece of Transect that we finally locked into is that everybody's got a different term for what we do almost. It's like our solar groups, battery storage, wind, like they call it something different inside of their organization. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the education piece is so important. But it's also just interesting because when you talk about doing the dollar to dollar comparison. It's like, well, you pay this much money. Well, they may be paying a consultant three to $10,000 to do it after they've selected their site or route. And so you're not only giving them something they could do earlier on. So we have groups that have anywhere from 20 to 40 users in the platform run reports all across America at a phase in the project life cycle that they've never had the ability to do. And so it's like, well, how do you price that, right? Because it's yeah. they're used to spending X dollars like when they've selected a project, but now they're able to get this information so much earlier on to de-risk their projects and make better decisions. And that's been, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not exactly an apple and orange. Well, it is, right? Because it's two completely different process. One is like, oh no, there's a problem, like my little bird problem I had, right? <laughs> the other one's like, oh, I'm going to face this issue. We need to budget and plan for it. Yeah. And so the value of that is real interesting because it's hard to quantify it because you can look at, well, this is what you used to get, but we're doing 100x that earlier on. And so then they're using Transect to dial in their sites, their routes or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to your real estate deal, you know, if you would have had Transect then, you could have identified that before you guys even started the project and say, okay, look, you know, we're going to have to spend a few hundred thousand dollars to mitigate this issue put it into the model, see if the project works instead right. of getting 30 days into it. And it's like, what the hell? Like, yeah. how, do, how do we not know about this? Oh, we can only chop down trees for seven months out of the year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that, that's going to delay when we can start the building process. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. So as you guys scale, you know, I, I may be jumping ahead in the conversation here a little bit, but I'm, I'm just curious you know, if you think about this product in the United States, I imagine it's hard enough to build out in the United States, you know, just on a state by state basis. And I don't know if it goes down to county by county, but there's just so much data and content that you guys have to provide in context. Do you guys ever see going international or is it like, hey, we just 
we got to stick to U.S. for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I think we'll stick to U.S. for foreseeable future. But the great thing about this t- technology is it could very easily scale to Canada mm-hmm. or um, anywhere in Europe. Um, the tricky bit is finding the right specialists. Mm-hmm. We call ourselves like recovering consultants that can help with the content. Mm-hmm. And so that would be that would be the hard part. Yeah. But so, we get actually requests all the time to go out of to go. Yeah, out of I imagine. Country. I mean, like if you look at, at it from a technological standpoint, the technology can be applied to I mean, the technology doesn't care about borders, right? Yeah, no, um, right. Awesome. But as far as scaling, it actually becomes a bit of a manual process of finding the subject matter experts in that area that can help provide the content and data mm-hmm. to um, support the context of the technology. So when you guys are thinking about scaling, are you looking at getting more environmental types of data or are you try to bring in maybe other types of data like i'm thinking about just like as we're looking at places in east downtown right now like we're looking at like tax incentives historical status on buildings things like that i don't know if those apply to the same kind of projects that you guys are looking at mm-hmm. but is that like would that be something you'd be interested in or is it was it like we need more types of environmental data like you're going to stay super heavy on the environmental lane yeah at this point in time we're staying super heavy on the environmental piece because oftentimes when we start diving into like title or zoning there's other groups that do that well okay right mm-hmm. and so we really feel like the environmental is the whole in the market and that's what we're going to stick with and do it really really well mm-hmm. because once you start getting into other types of land development like I said, there's groups that do that well, and we don't want to reinvent that wheel. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I want to ask kind of about the journey a little bit. You know, you guys said that you started it in 2016. That's when you incorporated. I think you guys went, you went full-time on it in 2016? 2017. 2017. 2017. Okay. So when you guys decided to go full-time, I mean, did you guys bootstrap this? Did you raise a seed round from angels? How did you go about that? You know, we have a lot of listeners that always want to know you know, the, the, the meaty details of actually jumping from a job, you guys all had good jobs, jumping from the job to actually focus on it full time, raise capital, bootstrap. How'd you go about actually attacking it? You know, were you client funded? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we raised, uh, when we first started, we raised a a small friends and family round essentially. And, uh, that's what got us through, I guess, like the first year and a half or so. And then we raised a second, uh, friends and family round, both on like convertible notes, um, until, uh, just the two, and then and then we got venture backed, right? Yeah. You said the the three rounds. And we were in a unique place because you know we're not like Transect isn't the type of company that you would roll out a college dorm room and start. You know, it's kind of technical, and it's mm-hmm. Steve Case has this book called The Third Wave, and it's like a technical industry that can really be helped with if you optimize it. And that's the book what he talked about. So we actually had backgrounds, and so. When you spend 10 to 14 years across a different career mm-hmm. in Robin's industry, she had made a lot of money for people in their divisions. And in my industry, I had made good decisions and helped people make money as well. So even though we kind of grew up in a trailer, lower middle class, we had careers that spanned a decade. And so that gives you a lot of close relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And so our first investors were people that we had either already made money for mm-hmm. or people that they're willing to take another risk on us because they do us. And they're like, y'all have really good careers now. If y'all are leaving that <laughs> to do this, like there's got to be something there. And they did their due diligence. And I'll never forget one of my close friends from college. I sat down with him and he was a former Goldman Sachs, Austin Ventures. I mean, prolific angel, smartest guy I knew. And when we sat down with him, we did that because we were like, surely he's going to be like, no, this is a terrible idea. Don't do it. And so we go to him and he's like, 
this is great. I'm in. <laughs> we're like, well, dude, that's not what you're supposed to say. And he's like, no, seriously, I get pitched all the time. I'm like, I'll help y'all. And we're like, okay, one off. That's fine. Let's go talk to these other four people. Surely they're going to be like, so we hit up a person who owned a midstream company, who owned an environmental firm, somebody who had had multiple successful from a technology standpoint, companies of, you know, venture capitalist, prolific angel. And we did that to kind of get them to tell us no. And every time we went after people that were supposed to tell us no, they started writing checks. Yeah. And so in it's that not, two months, not the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. It's not because we're like, <laughs> you're supposed to get a whole lot more no's than yeah. We're like, <laughs> so we had about eight conversations and eight, eight or nine checks that came out of that from them introducing us. And we raised 750 grand in like three months. And that was wild. But I think that so when I look at, you know, when we talk about the startup journey, I think that when you've got a decade or more, which I think this is for people in their 30s or 40s, it's like it actually sometimes if you've got industry experience like Robin, it can be a little easier to actually create a startup out of that industry experience because you have existing relationships and you don't have to be 22 or 25 to do it right like you could do something when you're older you connect with often- me on linkedin <laughs> i wrote a post about this two days oh, really? ago yeah that went that did oh, okay. really well and it, yeah. it said the same exact thing because one of the top messages that i get from people are wanting to leave their job at a major emp ofs and i said the biggest thing people need to do is kind of change their mindset and have some patience if you look at companies just like transect i said the majority of successful companies come from people that are you know 35 40 years old that have had 10 15 years in the industry to build skills to build relationships and mm-hmm. you can launch companies on the back of that like this whole silicon valley type mindset of you know being mark zuckerberg coming out of you know 20 years old creating facebook like yeah look it's happened. It's really obviously, hard to have that experience and wisdom in a technical industry. Yeah, right? it's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark Zuckerberg yeah. couldn't couldn't have made this platform when he was twenty years old. Right, he, he couldn't have done it. Right, and so um, I think that's a really important message that resonates with a lot of people, and they need to understand that is like, look, in your career, you know, your career isn't isn't the end of it. Right, it's a right. step, and you use that to take skills that can carry over to make those relationships. Like you, you brought up a good point. I think it's relationships over everything, you know, to where you guys go to raise capital and boom, $750,000 in a few months. That wouldn't have happened if you didn't already have pre-existing relationships. You know, you should be right. able to pick up the phone and you have people that know you and are willing to cut a check. So really good story there. Um, risk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I think that they saw it as like, we were taking a lot of risk, leaving really steady jobs to yeah. go do something. And they admired that. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up this podcast real quick, you know, let's, you guys just got funded by Blueberry, correct? Yes. So Blueberry Capital, great friends of Shout ours. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, um, they were one of our first podcasts, uh, shows way back <laughs> in the day and been great friends with them ever since. So, you know, what, what was the process in going and raising capital? I'm assuming this was a series A for you guys. It was a seed round. like Seed a, round. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at, at that point, what made you guys think that you wanted to go the venture route and, you know, move on from friends and family to actually going into the venture treadmill? Yeah, it's, you know, uh, fate is great. Um, we, we weren't sure actually that we wanted to go the venture round and we were actually introduced to Blue Bear by a patent, like a, on a demo, like we were demoing some solar company that was up in Wisconsin or something. And he knew Ernst and Vaughn okay. and he said, maybe this isn't a great fit for us. I can't even remember if they became a client or not, but you should probably meet Blue Bear. 
And um, we just loved them. Like we didn't even really, we weren't actually actively fundraising at the time. We didn't know that's the route we were going to go. We didn't know if we were going to go venture. Um, but we liked the guys at Blue Bear so much that it made sense for us. Yeah. And so, and then of course it all works out because if we hadn't been, had the introduction, hadn't decided we were going to go down that path, we would, you know, we would have hit COVID and yeah. things probably would have been a lot harder. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fate, fate has a way of, of working out, right? You always need it a does. stroke of luck. <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. We, and you know, that we put a lot of thought into that decision. Like we had a 26 point rating scale from everything from recession risks to mm-hmm. control to like what the dollars would go for, what we were thinking about. And I think that oftentimes as founders or entrepreneurs, you don't, we don't think those things through, right? And so as we got to know Ernst and Vaughn and the Blue Bear team more, it became kind of abundantly clear that at some point in time, you need to make a decision on where you're going with your company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like you, Transix is a great company. It's like, do you want it to be international? Do you want it to be across the nation? And so we kind of did some soul searching and I think that's one of the reasons why they were such a great fit Yeah, because um, they were pretty transparent and they had invited us to meet different people that knew them and some of our investors got to know them as well. And so it was, it was an atypical process that I think is, was more relational to like what you said earlier. Yes. Yeah, so you guys, you said y'all met at Blue Bear. Yeah. We said, we sat next to each other at NASA. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so that was before yeah. you guys were funded. And you know, that's just some of the value that Blue Bear does is just bring a bunch of smart people, investors, companies into yeah. the room to have those collisions. So, you know, I think that speaks volume to Blue Bear. You know, they think in terms like that. So yeah, um, absolutely. It's yeah. a com- common thing that we talk about capital partners and having good capital partners is critical. And yeah, somebody um, that supports you and isn't just there to kind of control you and care about revenue. Yeah. And that's what we liked about Blue Bear is yeah. because, yeah, we had a whole matrix with like mental health and like, yeah. like our mental health <laughs> yeah. and our stress. And like, you know, I'm a female founder, so I'm pretty particular about like what new yep. control I bring in um, mm-hmm. into into this company. And, uh, yeah, like that's actually, you're like the first person to bring up mental health in at least probably like 50 or 60 episodes as a Dude, founder. That's like on every single one of our matrices that we make about decisions. It's what's our stress level and what's our mental health. Like what's our mental capacity that we can handle based on these decisions? Because, you know, if we can't <laughs> function, yeah. whatever decision we make is not going to matter. Yep. So mental Absolutely. health is huge. We're big into self-care. We're big into like taking care of ourselves at Transect and, um, with our partners and, and all that kind of stuff. And we do feel like, we feel like. Blue Bear honestly didn't laugh at that being a consideration about our choice. Like Blue Bear is awesome. So you know how hard I'm having to restrain myself from talking about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and the effects <laughs> that it has on. Mental I can start health. talking about tap dancing. That's there what I go. do for my for my self care. I love it. So <laughs> that's also a first. <laughs> we need so a, we need a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and tap dancing <laughs> demo here with a tiger. Yeah, with a tiger. <laughs> So if people are listening to this and, you know, they're interested in using the platform, they want to reach out, where can they find you guys? It sounds like you bought 50 domains. Which domain are you actually using? <laughs> Just transect.com. All right. Transect.com. <laughs> Settle on something basic. Yeah. Are, are you at least pointing all those other domains to transect.com? I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> on it. But yeah, they can go to transect.com, like sign up for a free account, run their first report for free. Oh, cool. We like to let people actually see it to believe it and learn about it. And so whether you're just a rancher out in West Texas listening or somebody who's got a thousand mile midstream pipeline, you know, like, or solar side, or, you know, just go in, log in and see what it is. I mean, it's, Very cool. it's been really neat to watch people 
actually just be like, I have a ranch. I want to know what's on my <laughs> side. And it's like, you're not technically a user, but eh, I'm glad that you Go got ahead. to use it. They're going to see me signing up for the platform and running a line in my neighborhood. Like, <laughs> exactly. How are you doing, Colin? <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you all for taking the time to come on the show. Excited about you know what everything that you're working on. And hopefully we can have you on here sometime you know, next year. And hopefully Love hear that. that you guys are killing it and crushing it. Yeah. Huge thanks to uh, Randy Rogers for taking time off of a tour to join us today. <laughs> and the, uh, the tap dancing zookeeper. So. You do look like Randy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that really made my heart happy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, take two seconds, leave us a rating and review. Send it all your friends, and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Come, come, come.